Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. I grew up in a family where church was not very important, and I never had the opportunity to understand that there was a God. Since I was a child, I grew up in a Christian home where my mum taught me the value of seeking God. God had a plan and a purpose for my life that I could not see. Terms such as surrender, obedience and submission were always a real problem for me. I secretly believed that I wasn't good enough for God. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour and everything began to change. God has my whole heart and Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Saviour. I'm here to say that Jesus is who he says he is and he is my Lord and Saviour. That Jesus Christ truly is my Lord and my Saviour. So about 10 years ago I um, carried one of these out of my car uh, into a house where we were visiting. And it was Christmas time. And the house that I was visiting was actually my wife's grandparents' house. So we had driven um, probably about 14 hours to get to their house, um, as far north as you can possibly go, uh, in the northeast corner of the United States, in a state, a little state called Maine. And we were up close to the Canadian border. And her grandparents had lived in that community, along with uh, their entire extended family, for about three or four generations. In fact, some of the uh, original family came over from Ireland. They were potato farmers, still are today potato farmers, like four or five generations of potato farmers. And so we walked into the house and we had this uh, roasting dish. And my wife went into the kitchen and they were preparing some Christmas food in the kitchen with the roasting dish. And uh, she began to cut a ham and she began to cut the end off of the ham in order to put it into the roasting dish. When my wife's grandmother asked her, why are you cutting the end off of the ham and putting it in the roasting dish? And my wife said, well, that's what my mom told me to do when you roast a ham is you cut the end off and you put it into the roasting dish. At which point, my mother-in-law, who was also in the kitchen, looked at my wife's grandmother, her mother, and said, well, that's what you taught me to do. And then all of a sudden, my wife's grandmother burst out laughing, and she said, the only reason I ever cut the end of the ham off is because I didn't have a roasting dish large enough to cook the entire ham. It has nothing to do with cooking the ham well. It simply was the fact that I didn't have a very large roasting dish, so I always had to cut the end of the ham off in order to fit it into the roasting dish. And my wife had been preparing the ham that way for years because her mother had been preparing the ham that way for years. And as I thought about baptism this morning, I thought to myself, you know, baptism is a lot like the roasting dish, not just because of its shape. Obviously, it'd be hard to get Chris into the roasting dish. But all of us in the room, whether you're a church person or you're here at church for the first time in your life, you all have a perception or an opinion about baptism. I've talked with literally hundreds of people across the world 
Some that have been followers of Jesus, some that have just started following Jesus, some that are still trying to figure out, was Jesus even real? Is he who he claimed he should be? And they all have an opinion about baptism. See, all of us have had some sort of an experience with baptism. And so because of that, our opinion about baptism is formed oftentimes much like the roasting dish and cooking the ham, not because of a ton of research we did on how to cook a ham and whether or not you cut the end off before you put it in the roasting dish. We didn't, do a, our, we didn't create our opinion about how to cook the ham based upon a lot of research about it. We simply formed an opinion about how to do it based upon our experiences with it. And most people that I've talked with, myself included, our opinion about baptism most often is formed not because we did a ton of research about baptism, but because of the experiences that we've had over the years with baptism. And that goes for people that are older, younger, church people, people that have never been to church. All of us have some sort of an opinion about baptism, which is why today we are taking a break from our regular scheduled programming. Some of you that are regulars here at at Creekside, you maybe came today thinking, We're in the middle of a series called Comparison Trap, and it's supposed to finish today. What is going on? Why are we talking about baptism? Here's the deal. We're taking a break from our regular scheduled programming today. We're going to get back to Comparison Trap next week. We're talking about baptism today because I think, I'm convinced, that baptism is actually a big deal for everyone. And maybe you came this morning and you're like, well, I've I've vaguely heard of baptism before. And I one time got invited to go to watch somebody's child be baptized. But Jason, are you sure that baptism is a big deal for everyone? I think baptism actually is a big deal for everyone. Or at least I'm convinced that today my hope is that at the end of our time together, all of us, whether we follow Jesus or we don't follow Jesus yet, we'll all walk out at least understanding that baptism should be a big deal for all of us. When I was a kid growing up, my dad has been a pastor his whole life, and uh, I grew up in Sydney, and I remember driving around Sydney with my dad, and I was fascinated by all of the different churches in our community. And I would ask my dad as we were driving around, I know some of you are like, you are really weird, you are messed up if that's what you were fascinated by as a kid, I get that. But I would drive around with my dad, and I would ask him all the time, hey dad, What's the difference between that church and the church we go to? So I would be driving by, let's say, St. John's Anglican Church. And I would say to my dad, hey, dad, what's the difference between St. John's Anglican Church and the church that we go to where my dad pastored? And my dad would start talking a little bit about some of the maybe ideas and concepts that were different between our church and the Anglican Church. You know what oftentimes came up? Baptism oftentimes came up in the conversation. And then we would drive around some other day of the week and I'd see a different church. I'd see a uniting church. And I'd say, Dad, what's the difference between the uniting church and the Anglican church and then our church? What's the difference? You know what would come up oftentimes? Baptism would oftentimes come up in the conversation. And eventually, I would ask my dad about all these different types of churches and the differences between that church and the church I grew up in You know the type of church I grew up in? It was called a Baptist church. So what do you think I thought about baptism? I thought that we must be right about baptism because it's in our name. 
I mean, what would the Presbyterians have to do with baptism? How would they know how to get it right? Or the Anglicans or the Uniting Church or some other church? We're Baptists. Of course we've got baptism right. That was kind of the assumption that I thought of. And then some of you maybe even think this is a little bit humorous because I grew up in not just a Baptist church. I grew up in what they called an independent Baptist church. So I thought that not only did we have baptism right, but I thought that everybody else had gotten baptism wrong. Not just that we had got it right, but I thought everybody else had baptism wrong. But I'm convinced that most of us, myself included, when it comes to this idea of baptism, we've all got some sort of opinion. Whether you're a church person or not a church person, you've got some sort of opinion that's been formulated in your mind about baptism And it's probably not because of a ton of research that you've done or a ton of investigating on who got baptism right and who doesn't get it right. But it's probably simply because of some of the experiences that you've had in your life that has helped formulate this idea of baptism. Here's the deal. Baptism is a big deal for all of us. And especially for those of us that are followers of Jesus, baptism is a really big deal. Here's the reason why. Baptism is actually something Jesus talked about in some of his final words while he was here on earth. Right before Jesus left, he talked about this idea of baptism. I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital or if you've ever been around somebody who's just about to die. Maybe you've sat down next to somebody at their bedside, maybe in a home, maybe you've been at a hospital, and right before they pass away, they share some things with you. Most of the time, people's final words are really important to them. Those final things they say to you are so important to them and they want you to hear it right before they leave. The same is true with Jesus. He had his closest followers near him, around him, moments before he was going to leave this earth. And he gave them some final words and in these final words, Jesus introduces this idea of baptism as a part of the mission that he was giving them that he wanted them to take into all the world. Matthew, one of his earliest followers, a guy that hung out with Jesus for three plus years and followed Jesus and became a leader in the church, he actually recorded for us some of the final words of Jesus. In one of the Gospels, in the second part of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible or new to church, the second part of the Bible is called the New Testament. And at the beginning of the New Testament, there are four books or four documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of people call them the Gospels. These are biographies of Jesus' life from four different people's perspective that hung out with Jesus. Matthew, one of the guys that wrote about Jesus' life, he shares with us some of Jesus' final words. Listen to what Matthew says. Matthew wrote that Jesus told his followers, therefore, after all of this, After all the training that they've been given, they've hung out with Jesus for years. Therefore, after all of this, I'm about to leave this place. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing. There's our word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this word baptizing, for those of you that are maybe new to the Bible or maybe new to church... All of the New Testament that I just talked about, the second half of the Bible, was all originally written in the Greek language because that was the common language in the Roman Empire when Jesus was alive in the first century. So these guys that hung out with Jesus, they wrote in Greek, 
so that everyone that was there and alive during the time that Jesus was around in the first century would be able to read and understand exactly what Jesus' life was all about. When the English translation of the Bible came along, there was no English word to translate the word baptism into. So when the people came along to take the Greek New Testament that was written by these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a guy named Paul who wrote many letters, makes up more than half of our New Testament, they didn't have a word to take this word from Greek and translate it into. So here's what they did. They took the Greek word, and I want to put it up on the screen for you this morning so you know what it looks like. They took this Greek word, baptizo, is how you pronounce this. And some of you are like, wow, Jason knows Greek. No, I know Google, okay? So I Google how to pronounce baptism in Greek, and you can press on a little button that actually says it out loud for you, baptizo. That's how you say it. You want to say it together? Let's do that together this morning. You guys can walk away going, hey, I learned a Greek word this morning. You can go and impress some Greek friends. You ready? On the count of three, we're going to say baptizo. That's how you say it. Ready? One, two, three. Baptizo. Okay, you guys are way better than, than that. I think you can do a better job than that, honestly. You ready? On the count of three, let's say it like we actually are excited about baptizo, okay, about Greek New Testament. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Baptizo. So when the English translators took the Greek word baptizo, they did what's called a transliteration. Instead of a translation, finding an English word that matches the Greek word, they literally took the letters in the Greek baptizo and they found English letters to match it. That's why our English word baptism actually sounds like the Greek word baptizo. So they literally went letter by letter and they created a brand new word. Now, when that took place, this idea of baptism went from being a common Greek word to having religious connotations. See, there was no English word for baptism up until this point. So in that moment, when the English translators came along and created literally a new English word that sounded like the Greek word, all of the sudden, the word baptizo, which was a common word in the Greek, had no religious connotations. All of the sudden, it took on religious meaning. In fact, if you look at the original meaning of the Greek word baptizo, it literally means this, to wash, to plunge, submerge, bathe, or immerse. That's the literal meaning of the word. And so as you look through all, all throughout the New Testament, some of these early writers like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they would actually use the word baptizo in the Greek, not for special religious ceremonies like we saw this morning, but for everyday common language. In fact, Mark, he recorded a time when some of the religious leaders were offended by Jesus and he used the word baptizo. It says here in Mark chapter 7, when they, the religious leaders, come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. This word, English wash, is actually in the Greek the word baptizo. It was just an everyday common word. It didn't mean that every time the religious leaders came to eat, they got dunked in a tank and confetti all over them so that they could eat. It just meant they simply washed their hands like all of us commonly would do before we have a meal. In fact, they saw that Jesus didn't do it. In the next part of the verse, it says this. In the next slide. And they observed many other traditions such as washing 
of cups, pitchers, and kettles. This same word, baptizo, is, is used in this verse that Mark records this practice of washing all of their dishes, which this afternoon when you go home and you have lunch, maybe you, as you start washing your dishes, you can think to yourself, I'm baptizoing these, I'm baptizing these dishes. It was just a common Greek term. Luke recorded for us a time when the religious leaders were upset with Jesus. They said, but the, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. This guy wasn't upset with Jesus because he didn't get baptized in a tank, in a, in a tank or get dunked like this. He just simply was upset that Jesus hadn't taken the time to wash his hands before the meal because that was a common practice. So this word baptism or baptizo was just a common everyday term in the first century that people would use for washing things and dunking things. It wasn't a religious term. So how did it move from being a common everyday term to some sort of special ceremonial or religious term? I want to walk you through a little history lesson. I want you to stay with me on how this transitioned from just being a common everyday term to actually having religious connotations. Long before Jesus showed up on the scene, there were Gentiles living in the area around Jerusalem. They were non-Jewish people. That's what they called Gentiles. And these non-Jewish people would sometimes come to Jerusalem and they would see Jews celebrating different feasts like Passover and other feasts throughout the year that the Jewish uh, families would, would celebrate in Judaism, their, their religious traditions. And occasionally Gentiles would actually want to become Jewish. They would see the fun that they were having or maybe the lifestyle that they led. And they thought to themselves, you know what? I'd actually like to become Jewish. So the Jews had a list of things that people that were Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish would have to go through in order to convert to Judaism. Let me share the list with you. In order to convert to Judaism, you had to first be circumcised, which meant most of the converts were women. There wasn't a lot of guys that were interested in becoming Jewish, obviously. Then the next thing was you had to have a covenant or a contractual meal, kind of to say, hey, I'm leaving my Gentile way of life and I'm going to take on Judaism and become Jewish, they would have a special meal that was a contractual meal that you couldn't break. Then they would have to accept the Jewish law, not, not only accept it, sometimes they had to actually memorize portions of the Jewish law. Some of them had to memorize the entire Jewish law. Over 600 laws that the Jews had to keep, they would have to memorize in order to become a Jew from being a Gentile. Sometimes they would have to perform an animal sacrifice as well in order to become Jewish. But then the last thing on the list was this ceremonial or ritual washing where these Gentiles would actually go privately, not publicly in front of other people, but they would privately go and bathe themselves, essentially saying, I am washing myself of my Gentileness and I am taking on a new way of living, becoming a Jew, because they were converting to Judaism. As they did this, the word baptism began to take on a religious connotation. Although it literally meant just to wash or to be dunked or to plunge, it began to take on some religious connotations because of this converting to Judaism. 
But how did it get connected to Jesus? See, this is long before Jesus showed up on the scene. People were converting to Judaism long before Jesus showed up. But somehow, while Jesus was alive in the first century, all of the sudden, baptism got connected to Jesus. I want to introduce you to my favorite character in all of the Bible. There are a lot of different people in the Bible, but this guy is my favorite character in the whole Bible. His name is John the Baptizer. Here's the reason why John is my favorite character. John's whole mission in life, I love this about John, his whole mission in life was simply one thing, to point people to Jesus. People would come to him and say, are you a prophet? Even got asked, are you the Messiah? People thought that he was actually the Messiah. He was Jesus himself. And he would all the time deflect all of the attention. And he'd say, no, 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 no. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just here to point people to the one that's coming. In fact, in the first century, he was a cousin of Jesus. And while Jesus was alive, John had a ministry on the Jordan River. And he would preach. He would get up in front of crowds of people and he would tell them, God is about to do something special. You need to repent. You need to stop sinning, stop living the way that you're living because God's about to do something special. And if you don't stop living the way that you're living, you're going to miss out on what God's going to do. He knew that Jesus was coming. He knew the Messiah was coming. And he was constantly trying to get the crowds of people that would come down to the riverside and listen to him talk. He was constantly trying to get them ready for what God was going to do when he sent the Messiah. In fact, there was a time when the religious leaders of the day came down to the riverside and they were accusing him of all sorts of things. And they had authority over them that were asking, hey, I want you to go down and find out what's going on with this John the Baptist guy. Find out who he is and what he's doing. And while John was on the riverbank and these guys showed up, they pressed in on him and they said, hey, we've got to go back and tell our boss who you are and what you're doing because you're causing a lot of stir. And finally, he said to them, there is actually someone here today in our midst who is the one that I am pointing you to. The Messiah is here with us today. On that particular day, Matthew records for us a conversation between John the Baptist and Jesus, and here's what he said. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized, tried to deter him by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you came to me to be baptized. So John is there at the riverside, and Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I need to be baptized. John says to him, what are you talking about? I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Of all people, I've been spending my whole life pointing people to you coming, and you come and ask me to baptize you? Why would you do that? See, John had been inviting people as they would repent of the way that they were living, repent of their sin, to come down into the river and be baptized, identifying with the fact that they agreed with what John was saying, identifying with the fact that they wanted to be prepared for this thing that God was going to do, the Messiah that was coming. And so Jesus, the very one who John has been talking about, shows up at the river and says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John, of course, is thinking to himself, of all people, 
You should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. But then Jesus says something profound that I think is so important for us to understand about baptism. Jesus responds to this question that John asks. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then I love this little bit that Matthew puts at the end. I think this is kind of humorous. Then John consented. Let's be honest. If Jesus said anything to us, we would all consent. I mean, anybody that says, hey, I'm going to die on a cross, I'm going to be buried alive, buried in the ground, and then I'm going to come back to life three days later, and then they actually pull off that whole thing that they explained to us, we'd just go with whatever they'd say. I think it's great that John consented to what Jesus said, and then he went in and actually baptized Jesus. Jesus' words here are so important. He says to John, it's proper for us to do this. In other words, it's important for us to do this so that the righteousness can be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is saying this. It is right for me to be baptized so that everyone here can see that I am in agreement with what you've been preaching and what you've been teaching. You've been saying that a Messiah is going to come. Get ready. Jesus is coming. Stop living the way that you're living. Repent of your sin. Get ready for what God's going to do. And by me being baptized, John, I am coming out and saying, I agree with what you're saying. See, baptism in and of itself doesn't do anything special or mystical for Chris here today when he was baptized. There's nothing special about this water. In fact, we filled up this tank with water straight out of a hose. Same kind of water you have at your place. Nothing special about the tank. Nothing special about the water in the tank. Baptism is simply a public declaration of a personal decision. Just like Jesus that day at the Jordan River with John the Baptist, there was nothing special about the water in the Jordan River. It was just Jesus saying, I agree with what John is saying, that God is about to do something special that God is about to do something amazing in our midst. And I am publicly declaring a personal decision to agree with John. That's what baptism is. It's just a public declaration. It's, It's Chris having made a personal decision to follow Jesus long before this morning, publicly declaring to everyone in this room, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is. Here's what baptism is not. Let me be really clear. Baptism is not a condition of salvation. It is actually evidence of salvation. See, Chris, when he decided to become a follower of Jesus, he was already saved. He was, his salvation, his sins were already forgiven long before he ever got into this tub this morning. But baptism simply says, I am now identifying as a follower of Jesus and I'm publicly declaring this decision that I made personally. This is why it's so important for us here at Creekside that we only baptize people who have made that decision personally. See, it's hard for a baby or somebody that doesn't quite understand that decision to be baptized because this is a public declaration of a personal decision that Chris made on his own. When I was baptized as a child, it was a public declaration of a personal decision that I had made on my own. Most churches would all agree baptism baptism is super important. 
Jesus said that we should go into all the world and we should make disciples and we should baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Some of you maybe have heard somebody baptizing even as Earl did today and they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You might have thought, oh, that's just some sort of church lingo that they say every time you baptize. It was actually what Jesus taught his first followers to do. That's why we do it. It's always a personal decision with a public declaration. That's what baptism is all about. When it comes to baptism, there are two things that I find a lot of people get hung up on. Here are the two things. They get hung up on technique of how you baptized, and they get hung up on the timing of when you baptize. Here's what I'm convinced of. The technique that we use this morning, it's not that important. We use confetti, we use this tub. I've been to a baptism before where there was an elderly lady who was struggling with a terminal disease. She couldn't get into a tub physically, and so we baptized water over the top of her. It's really not that big a deal when it comes to technique. In fact, there are places around the world where they have a shortage of water, and so they struggle finding enough water, literally, to be able to plunge somebody under the water. But when it comes to the timing, all throughout the New Testament, you always see followers of Jesus being baptized after they had made a personal decision to start following Jesus. So that's why it's a big deal for us here at Creekside to always baptize people who have made the personal decision for themselves to begin following Jesus. Many people are emotional about baptism. In fact, I've had people over the years They've gotten nervous. They've gotten scared. They've said, well, I've got I've to baptize my child because if something happens to them, what's going to happen to them after they die if I don't get them baptized? Even this week here at our church, this week we got an email from somebody asking about baptism. They don't go to the church. They even asked how much does it cost to get baptized at the church? All because they are so anxious about this thing of baptism, here's what you need to know. Baptism is not a condition of salvation. It is simply an evidence that somebody has salvation. And so for many people, they get caught up with the technique or the timing of it. Honestly, I think the timing of it is important. For those that have made the personal decision, that's the best time to get baptized. The other question that I get a lot and I've had this question for many years now, is this question right here. Do I have to tell my story in a video? Because it kind of freaks some people out. Some people are nervous. They get scared. They get anxious. Do I have to tell my story in a video? I actually get nervous or anxious when people come to me and say, I want to tell my story in a video. That makes me nervous and anxious. I get a little scared. What's such a big deal that you have to tell your story in this video? Here's the thing about the video. The video gives you an opportunity to share your story with more people than you'll probably ever be able to share your story with. See, here's the great thing about Chris's video. Chris got to share that story with everyone here this morning. But because it's a video and because you can share it with other people, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands more people that will get to hear Chris's story simply because he had the courage to share his story on a video. That's the power of story. That's the power of video. 
Is it important that you have to tell your story on a video? Absolutely not. But I think it's an incredible opportunity for you to be able to share your story with so many more people than you might have been able to share it with just on your own. I have a question for you now, especially for those of you that are in the room that are followers of Jesus. My question is simply this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, what's holding you back? What's the thing that's holding you back from taking this simple step of being baptized that Jesus invited all of his followers to use to let the world know that they're a follower of Jesus? Think about that for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, what's the thing that's holding you back? Here's the most common answer to that question. One word, fear. Fear of maybe having to tell your story. Fear of maybe people wondering what you look like when you get wet. Fear of what are people going to think. Fear of, but maybe that's just for young people and I'm older now. Fear of, I should have done that years ago when I first started following Jesus, but I've been following Jesus now for a long time. What are people going to think that I didn't get baptized back then? All of these things creep up in people's minds as a fear that holds them back from taking this all-important step in their journey with Jesus. This morning, I want to invite you to literally overcome your fear. This could be a step that you take in your journey with Jesus in faith that is a breakthrough for you in your relationship with Jesus. This could be the moment when you take a step of courage, you overcome this fear that you have that allows you to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Again, there's nothing magical or mystical about the water, but it simply is identifying that you are now a follower of Jesus. And Jesus, not just invited, he actually instructed any follower of his to get baptized. So I want to invite you this morning to overcome your fear. And when you think about the fear that you might have, I want you to consider that fear in contrast to what Jesus has done for you. See, I'm convinced that Jesus on the cross, he publicly declared his love for you. Paul, who wrote many letters throughout the New Testament, he wrote these words in Romans. He said that God demonstrated his love for all of us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus went to the cross and died for us. The greatest public demonstration, the greatest public declaration of God's love for all of humanity came when Jesus went to the cross. Hey, if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what, Jason, I'm not sure about this whole baptism thing you've been talking about for the last 20 minutes or so. I'm not sure about church. I'm not even sure about the whole Christianity thing. Maybe you've even been counting how many ceiling tiles we have up here on the ceiling. I want you just to listen just for a moment. Just give me two minutes of your time. I don't want you to miss what we're talking about this morning. God's greatest public declaration of his love for you happened when Jesus went to the cross. 
And I could stand here for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes and describe the brutality of what Jesus went through on the cross to you. So much so that many of you would want to stand up and walk out because it's so horrific what Jesus went through. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe church is brand new to you this morning, I hope you leave here this morning knowing this one truth, that God loved you so much, he publicly declared his love for you by sending his only son, Jesus, to die for you on a cross. That's how much he loves you. And he so badly wants to have a relationship with you. He so badly wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you so much, he sent his son, Jesus. And he publicly declared his love for you when his son, Jesus, went to the cross. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, with that in mind, that he publicly declared his love for you on the cross, then baptism is your opportunity, it's your chance to publicly declare your love for him. Of everything that Jesus did for you, I know you're fearful, I know you get nervous, you think, ah, I'm not sure if I should get baptized, I'm afraid of this thing or that thing. This is your chance, this is your opportunity. Just like God publicly declared his love for you on the cross, baptism is your chance to publicly declare your love for him. But at the end of the day, I want you to remember this one truth, that when it comes to baptism, baptism is not a salvation issue. It's simply an identification issue. We are saved from our sin when we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, when we admit that we're sinners, when we put all of our trust and hope and confidence in the person of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, in that moment that we say yes to Jesus and receive his gift of eternal life, in that moment we are saved from our sin. Baptism has nothing to do with that. But it has everything to do with our public declaration of identifying as a follower of Jesus. So this morning as we wrap up, each of you, as you came in, you maybe saw in your seat a little post-it note. This is where it gets personal. So go ahead and grab the post-it note and grab a piece of pen that's next to it. Here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never publicly declared your love for Jesus by being baptized, I want to invite you to take a first step to doing that today. Like, wait a second, Jason, I didn't bring my swimsuit. I didn't bring anything for my hair. I got no packet for my makeup. I didn't bring anything for my hair either. It's going to be fine, okay? Here's what I want to invite you to do. Take a first step. I'm not saying get baptized today, but if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, here's the first step that you can take today. In just a minute, the band's going to come. We're going to play a song. We're going to be out of here in just a second. While the band is playing this next song, I want you to do just one thing. Write your name and your phone number on this piece of paper. And then after the service, as we all exit, we're going to have some guys at the back door with a couple of buckets. And if you'd like to know how you can take your next step in getting baptized and identifying as a follower of Jesus, just like Chris did today, we'll follow up with you and we'll help you take that next step. It might be in a couple of weeks. It might be in a couple of months. 
Maybe you just want to investigate. What does this baptism thing look like? I'm not quite sure about it, but I know it's something I should at least investigate. I want you just to write your name if you're a follower of Jesus, you've never been baptized, and write your phone number and then drop it in the bucket on your way out and we'll follow up with you and help you take that next step if that's the best next step for you. But I want you to remember this morning, when it comes to baptism, it's not about your salvation. It's about your identifying with Jesus as your Savior. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you this morning that we have all of this history of baptism that we can look to to give us an idea of why it was so important to Jesus. God, I thank you for the fact that you have preserved these stories that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and others have written so that we could know how Jesus was baptized and how important it was to him and why, as followers of Jesus, it should be so important to us. God, I pray for anyone that's here this morning who's thinking, I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to be baptized, but I'm just not sure. Whatever fear it is that they have, God, I pray that they would take just the first step, write their name down, write their number, so that we can walk them through this all-important thing of baptism. God, I pray that people would have the courage to take that first step. God, I pray for that person that's here today that this whole thing of church and baptism and public dunkings is all very new and strange and odd to them. God, I pray that this morning that they would remember how much you love them and sent your son Jesus to die for them. And I pray that they would understand that truth in a new and a special way today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.